Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on January 23rd by our lead pastor, Rod Heppel. Today, Pastor Rod preaches the third message in our winter 2022 sermon series entitled Messy Grace, Messy Truth. For more information about our church, check out sardisfellowship.com. Well, good morning, or whenever you might be watching this online. I just want to encourage you to keep reading the 90-day challenge that I gave last Sunday. I told you that from last Sunday to April 17th, which is Easter Sunday, is 91 days. And so we're doing a 90-day read through the New Testament challenge. And if you've gotten behind already, I just want to encourage you to stay in the game. Uh, We have these little brochures at the church. If that's kind of an incentive for you, you can check off when you've kind of done your reading for the week and and encourage you to keep going. So keep reading God's Word and, uh, and, of course, applying it to your life. Have you ever been out of your comfort zone? Like even just a little bit? And do you remember what that felt like? Maybe you were starting a new job and you didn't know very many people or what was expected. And it was just really a nerve-wracking experience. Maybe you were invited to a dinner party and you really didn't know the people that well. In fact, you weren't even sure who was going to be at that party, but you'd already said yes and you show up and you're apprehensive because you're just not sure how it's going to go. Well, about three years ago, I found myself in a situation that was not my norm, Uh, It wasn't that this was really an unusual situation. It was just something a little bit outside of my comfort zone. I wasn't used to being alone. Uh, Anne and I had been married for 25 years at the time, and we had four kids, and we usually did everything together. But there was this leadership conference that was being held in Vancouver at Regent College uh, on the UBC campus. And although I wasn't staying in dorms there or anything like that, I had a friend who had a place on Granville Street in Vancouver, and they offered it to me for free, so I took it. So I'm on Granville Street, and it's supper time, and I'm heading out for a bite to eat. And I go out, and I, I'm on the street, and I think to myself, well, where do I want to go for supper tonight? That in itself was a little bit unusual for me, because usually I'd be asking my wife or talking to the kids. Where do I want to go? Well, I landed on this place called Bin for Burger Lounge. Right there. Bin for Burger Lounge. That's how you say it. And uh, it's on Granville Street, and I figured, how could I go wrong with the name of a restaurant having the word burger and bin in it at the same time? And I have to say, it actually was a very good burger. I entered into the restaurant, and the host said to me, for one. And I'm like, yes, even that was a little unusual. And uh, then she took me over to the bar and said, would you like to sit at the bar? And I was like, no, not really, but I would like to sit somewhere where I could see the big screen TV, because the Winnipeg Jets were playing the Golden Knights in the Western Conference Finals, of which they lost. After, I was thinking about the fact that as I'm eating my meal, what am I going to be doing anyway? So I thought I better have the hockey game on so I have something to do because usually I have someone to talk to, but I don't. In fact, I so badly wanted to talk to someone, I actually looked over a couple of times at the people seated just kind of next to me there, and I kind of thought, I'd like to engage them in conversation. I thought, that's weird. What are you doing? You don't do that but they didn't notice that I was there all alone, eating by myself. So rude. I even wanted to strike up a conversation with the, the uh, server that was there or the, the bar attendant who kind of gave me the nod, you know. And, but people were busy. There was no one to talk to. I was on my own, and that was something unusual. And then I thought to myself, what am I going to do after supper? Like I got the evening to kill. Am I going to go to a movie by myself? What am I going to do? Should I call Anne? Well, I'd already done that twice. Well, I stepped out onto the street, and I started to window shop. And I'm looking around, and I know that I'm pretending, because I'm no potential buyer. 
And I think to myself, I am out of my comfort zone. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Rod, what's the big deal about that? Because quite frankly, I would be in my comfort zone, right? Everyone's a bit different. You might be thinking, that's my norm. As a single person, maybe that's how it feels for you. And actually, I was thinking about single people and what life might look like for them because we get used to our own context in life and we don't often think what it's like for someone else. Or maybe you're thinking, that would be my ideal. I would love just for a moment to have an evening like that. Actually, I thought maybe Anne might be thinking that as she's at home with the kids and I'm having a nice quiet meal at the burger bin. But the point is this. I was in a situation that was different from my norm and it made me feel something. I don't even know exactly what it made me feel, but maybe a little bit insecure or maybe a little bit alone or not sure what to do. But one thing I know for sure, it, it felt like I was out of place. It felt like I didn't belong there. It seemed like everyone else who was there was very comfortable. They either were with their friends or they're doing their thing and they live on Granville Street or in that area. And I didn't. I was thinking to myself that they must look at me and know that guy's not from here. He's from Chilliwack. This is just a silly little story, an illustration about the way it is for us when we step outside of our comfort zone and do something different or something new. We feel out of place. And maybe we think that we don't belong. We start to equate that. And I've been thinking about how this might apply to a person who doesn't normally go to church, but they choose to attend a Sardis Fellowship event or come to a worship service on a Sunday morning. And I'm asking myself the same kind of questions. What is it like for them? How do they feel? You know, what does it feel like for them if they showed up to a men's event or a women's event or a Sardis primetime or the youth? Do they walk through the doors of our church facility here? And what's it like for the first time for them? Maybe they know someone or maybe they don't know anyone. What do they feel in that moment? Do they feel out of place like I did hanging out alone on Granville Street, pretending that I was going to buy a pair of shoes for $365. It was obvious I wasn't. Do they feel that obvious? Like, I'm out of my, I shouldn't be here, right? Like, this is a mistake. This isn't my norm. It's way outside my comfort zone. Sometimes I take the time just to visualize what it would be like for a person who's choosing to come to a church for the first time. You know, we don't even know why they have chosen to come. We don't know if they were invited by a friend or maybe something that week happened in their life and they're actually seeking God. And they're reaching out, looking for an answer to what they're feeling on the inside. But whatever the reason is, people choose to go to church for the first time. You know, I picture them turning off of Wells Road into this long, narrow parking lot. They probably see the shrubs. Maybe they assess how well we keep our grounds, you know, done. And maybe they see that the curbs need to be repainted yellow again. They, they park their car and they come up to those front doors and they walk through. In fact, they weren't even sure if those were the front doors because it's a bit of an odd building. We have side doors and back doors, but no real front door. And they come into the foyer. What's the first thing they see when they come in the foyer? Is it a friendly place, a welcoming person, a friend they know, or no one at all that they know? And they don't know whether they are to turn left or to, to turn right. Uh, if they have a kid with them, what are they thinking and feeling at that point? Maybe they do turn and come into the auditorium and the first thing they see is this kind of large cavernous structure and they choose a corner. Maybe a little bit off to the side or away from others. I don't know how it is for a person who comes in here for the first time, but I often wonder what their experience is. Did someone say hello to them? Did someone make them feel welcome? Did someone reach out to them? Are they coming in with a sense of inadequacy because 
Maybe something in their life is saying, I don't belong here and this is God's house and these people all seem to be so comfortable so their lives must be together while my life isn't together and I've come here because I need something but they all seem to be so comfortable here because they have it all together and that's just not the case at all but that could be a feeling. And after taking in the worship service, the singing and the prayers and the message that they've heard, would they choose to come back again? And what might be the factors as to whether they would choose to come back again or to choose to never come back again. Like, I mean, if they felt welcomed here, would they have a sense of belonging? Would they feel like this is a safe place where they can, wherever they're at in life, explore Jesus Christ? Or would they have an experience that was off-putting? Maybe no one said hi, felt very cold, they didn't understand what was going on, and they felt very much out of place and that they didn't belong. Or maybe worse, Maybe they felt judged. As we've been going through this sermon series called Messy Grace, I've had in my mind an intention to focus on our mission that Christ calls us into because of the very nature of our relationship to him. He is our savior, he is our Lord, and he is on mission in this world. As we looked at last week, He is pursuing people in love, and he invites us into that mission. I've shared with you my golden thread that highlights our need to love people to Christ or, or what? Or we're just going to cater to ourselves. So here's how I put it. To create a culture in our church family that is more concerned about loving people to Christ than catering to ourselves. Am I a guide leading people to Jesus or am I a gatekeeper in my mind of who I think should be here or shouldn't be here? Who I think is in and who I think is not. Over the years at Sardis Fellowship, Pastor Dave has shared a pretty cool little story about a rescue mission and how it pertains to the church staying on mission. He tells me he got it from Pastor Roy Lawson, who at one time was the president of our National Fellowship. And I asked Rob Schaff this week if he would bring his creative touch to that story, and he's put together this little visual aid by way of a video. Uh, we're going to listen to it and watch it now for our next couple of minutes, a little video on the mission. There was once a hill that had a sharp corner where cars would often go over the edge. When this happened, the people in the village below would gather their gear, go up the hill, rappel down the side and rescue the people. One day they decided that it would save time if they were to build a small hut up on the side of the hill to store their rescue equipment so that it would save time in rescuing people. This worked well for a while, but someone had the idea to expand their hut to become a rescue center that could be used for training as well as for treating people more quickly before the ambulance arrived. This would allow them to better accommodate the needs of rescuing people. This worked fantastic. In fact, they loved hanging out together, sharing the same interest and passion for rescuing people. It became so enjoyable to be together, sharing their stories, that they decided to add a few more amenities. A big screen TV was put in, along with a large deck and a hot tub. The training no longer happened, and they soon forgot about rescuing people who drove over the edge of the cliff. They were too busy enjoying their new life in what had become essentially a country club. Cars still continued to drive over the edge, so a new group of people from the town below began to gather their gear and go up the hill and rappel down the side and rescue people. My golden thread is an attempt to help us, Sardis Fellowship, to stay on mission for Christ so that we don't become a country club. That's why it's stated the way it is. So in our series on messy grace and messy truth, here's what we've been looking at. We've looked at 
being full of grace as Jesus was, and being full of truth as Jesus was. And it's not just one or the other, but it's both, and holding them in tension. That was the first week. The second week, we looked at pursuing others as God does in love. And we were asking ourselves this question, to what extent am I willing to, to do something to have or to keep influence in a person's life? And we need to fill in the blank. To keep influence in a person's life for what? So that we might be there to point them to Jesus or lead them to Christ. That's why we would do that. This last week, Pastor Dave and I were just chatting together. Um, every once in a while we meet. He meets with each of us on st staff, actually. It's very awesome. It's still like a coaching, mentoring relationship. And uh, Dave and I were talking about the sermon series. And he said, you know, there's been a couple words that have guided me as I'm thinking about your grace and truth and the whole idea of um, not compromising conviction while at the same time fostering community. And those two words he said were conviction and compassion. And then he wrote me this phrase about it as we were contemplating it more as I was. He said, conviction and compassion are good counterparts. These are things we both think about and feel in our hearts. So we may feel strongly about the right or wrong about something and also feel compassion toward the individual, like at the same time. We then try to figure out how to be true to both these impulses. That's where the tension lies. That's where we need to hold both, and I inserted here compassion and conviction, in balance. The happy balance is where grace and truth meet as modeled by Christ. So I, I love this language of compassion and conviction. I think that maybe it helps us even understand grace and truth. Maybe this language helps you. And I'm sure um, that in your conversations that you're having, the whole idea, when Dave and I were having this conversation, this somehow came up, but the idea is that when you are in conversation with a friend, that you're going to let compassion lead you. That you will be led by compassion because that's actually what Jesus did. So today's lesson or principle is leading with compassion. We're going to look at this idea of letting compassion be the thing that leads you as you have conviction about something, but you lead with compassion because you're wanting to bring people to the truth of Christ. Now, as I was going through my Bible reading this week, because I'm in the 90-day challenge and, um, uh, you know, it's three chapters a day kind of a, a thing. So I'm getting pretty far into Matthew's gospel. And I'm reading a lot of Matthew's gospel, and I'm realizing that this idea of compassion comes up quite a bit, that Jesus felt compassion for the people. Jesus was led by compassion, and that's why I'm talking about this today. And it's interesting to see that the compassion and the idea of it is to realize that it's not just a feeling we have, a feeling that I care, but it actually leads to an action that I care enough to help. Because the feeling of compassion, the feeling of it, always leads to an action. And if it doesn't, then it probably actually isn't truly compassion. Compassion felt in the heart always leads to an outward action of mercy and kindness. So there's the feeling that leads to the action. Merriam-Webster gives this definition of compassion. Sympathetic consciousness of others, of other people's distress, and look at the word here, together with a desire to alleviate it. So there's this kind of the feeling of it, and then you want to actually alleviate it. The Tyndale Bible Dictionary defines compassion like this. It's quality of showing kindness or favor, of being gracious or having pity or mercy. The Greek word for compassion literally means this, to be moved in one's bowels. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, in ancient times, if you were deeply moved, if there was 
a sense of emotion that was coming up within you, they referenced their bowels. The term points to the very core of one's inner feelings. Uh, much the same way that we might use the term heart today or to say something like, I felt it to the core of my being, right? Like we're trying to express a very deep-seated feeling within us, an emotion that is welling up inside of us, which what? Which leads to a course of action. Compassion comes from something we feel deep down inside us. We're moved with sympathy. Let's look at a few of these examples of Jesus being moved with compassion that I was reading this week, just in Matthew's Gospel alone. So in Matthew 9.36, it says this. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14.14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15.32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. In Matthew 20, 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. So you can see that there's a number of different situations that are, are going on here, right? Different contexts for, for each of these, maybe some overlapping similarities. Uh, for instance, there's a number of people that are suffering with some kind of disease or ailment, and Jesus is healing them. Now, we can identify with that, right? Like, I think it tugs at our heartstrings when we see a person who suffers with some kind of ailment, that we too feel it deep within our own bowels, so to speak, right? When we see suffering, we feel something deep inside of us, and it's called compassion, and we want to help. We would like to make a difference if we can, right? But in other situations... Jesus has compassion for people for things where he makes a reference because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's kind of interesting. What was Jesus seeing there that moved him into action? We read that in Matthew 9, 36. And there were times where Jesus was tired. He needed a break from his ministry. And yet people kept coming. It was very overwhelming because they would bring their needs and, and Jesus would have compassion on them. But there's this one situation I want us to look at in Matthew chapter 14 and also in Mark chapter 6. And the situation is that Jesus is not only tired because of the work that he's been doing with his disciples in the ministry that they have, but also he's just received word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed by Herod. So here you have Jesus losing someone that he loves. Let's pick up the story and just see his reaction to the people um, around this time in his life. When Jesus heard what had happened to John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place with his disciples. It would seem that Jesus needed not only a break from his ministry, but just some alone time to process the loss in his life. Uh, maybe to go and mourn, to wrestle with the will of the Father as it related to the death of John the Baptist, to pray. Whatever exactly the reasoning, it seems very clear that Jesus was intentional about removing himself from his ministry to be alone with his disciples but look what happens in the next verse. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from town to town, or from the towns. When Jesus landed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. You know, I, I don't think that if I'd been trying to get alone and get away, that upon arriving on the other side of the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and seeing all these people that had basically just kind of trekked around to the other side, I don't know that compassion would be the first emotion 
that I felt. I think maybe I, I could see myself being frustrated or tired or annoyed even. But I'm pretty sure compassion would not have been what I felt. Now we pick up a few more details about this story in Mark's gospel. And I want to read that as well because it gives us a really good feel for the tiredness of Christ and the disciples and then this willingness to simply meet the needs of the people. Mark chapter 6 says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized him and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach, he began teaching them many things. You know, I think I might have been more inclined to say, okay, go away, please leave us alone. Can't you see we're tired and we need a break? Haven't even had a chance to eat because we've been so busy serving people. What was it about Jesus that allowed him to look beyond the present situation of what most of us would at least see as an inconvenience of the needs of these people, to see the people for who they were and the need that they had and be moved in his spirit to meet that need. Compassion first. That was Jesus and his model. And I'm asking myself this question. I want us to ask this question. How do I make compassion my first thought or feeling? When that person in front of me who is like different from me or he's a problem, um, the person in front of me is creating some kind of angst for me, maybe it's a need, whatever the situation might be, I'm asking myself the question, how do I allow compassion to be my first thought or feeling? I think for most of us, we usually can feel compassion when there's a legitimate need and we can see it. There's a, a person who's sick, there's a person who's poor, there's a person who needs help with something, and we actually want to help. We make a difference. The action follows the feeling. But then there's those who are just simply, they're different from us. Different from us in their views and in their beliefs and how they live their lives and the things that they value, and the attitude of heart. And those kinds of people aren't as easy for us to show compassion toward. In no way do I claim to be good at this. I think like anyone, I feel the same kinds of frustrations and annoyances and even anger with people who disagree with me. But I'm sensing that to be part of Christ's mission in the world, we really do need to take this seriously. That I need to see people as Jesus saw people. And that is to lead with compassion. That that was what he modeled. And I need to let compassion lead me. And when I bring this back to the question of how a person um, who's new to Sardis feel, Fellowship might feel when they're coming here. I'm, I'm wondering about if our overall collective spirit as Sardis Fellowship is one that is more in keeping with this spirit of leading with compassion. That we care, and we care enough to act. And if it's not compassion, what might it be? What might be the overall spirit of Sardis Fellowship as a person comes in here? Could it be Indifference? Could it be that a person could come in here and not even be noticed? No one welcomed them or said hi, reached out to them in any way, shape, or form? Could it even be worse than that? Could it be judgment? That there was a judgmental spirit that they walk away with? Because what radiates out from us if it's not the love of Christ that's guiding us? If Christ's love for me 
and Christ's desire to have me love the world isn't the way in which I'm focusing my thoughts, then I don't know that the feeling of compassion and love and acceptance is going to radiate out for me. In fact, I'm scared of what the opposite might be. This last week, again, as I was going through Matthew's gospel, I happened to read that famous passage in Matthew chapter 7, which many of us will know, on judging. Where it seems that Jesus is rebuking people who judge others but give themselves a pass on their own sin problem. It really stood out to me as we were reading this, or looking at this idea of compassion and caring for others. And so I want to read it. Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure, pardon me, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I find that very significant. The measure with which I am judging other people, it's going to come back on me. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly, you will actually be able to assess more accurately to remove the speck from your brother's eye. While this passage may raise some questions, I have one simple question that I want us to ask. What leads us most often? A compassionate spirit or a judgmental attitude? Sardis Fellowship, we are in this together. Um, If there's going to be a culture that reflects the love of Jesus Christ, then it means that each and every one of us who claim Christ as our Lord need to say yes to him. And in saying yes to him, we're realizing that we are a part of his mission. And in being a part of his mission, it means that I'm willing to love people to Christ. And loving people to Christ means I have compassion. And having compassion means I have a feeling deep within me that says I care about you, no matter who you are. And that care leads to an action. It could be a simple action as just simply welcoming someone here or introducing yourself or helping them find a classroom. It could really be stepping out of your comfort zone when the person that you're greeting may look completely different from you and you assume a lifestyle about them that you're not quite sure if it's in keeping with who God is. And what I'm saying is that when we're on mission for Christ, our first response toward them is going to be compassion. That rather than judging, or rather than bringing forward my conviction right away, what I believe is true to God's word, our first feeling towards people will be compassion. The golden thread that I have is one of caution. If we let ourselves become comfortable just speaking to ourselves and only caring for ourselves, there's no awareness of the mission of reaching out. Then it's just a matter of time before the church dies because it will not be reaching people for Christ. And you know, there's a saying that goes, the last one out, please turn off the lights and lock the doors. I'm not saying that we stop loving and serving one another. That's actually a part of the mission of Christ. But what I am saying is that if it becomes our only focus, I wonder at what point it stops being truly love. The love that Christ expects us to have for one another and for those that we're reaching out to. As we keep the mission of Christ at the forefront of our minds, I think we love more deeply. I think we mature more quickly. I think we come alive in Christ more sincerely. I really do. When our lives are engaged in other people's lives, when we're sharing with them Christ and they're exploring the faith, I believe we come alive in Christ. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here. 
I believe that the fastest way to bring your spiritual life back to life again is to actually start sharing Jesus with others. Because there's this neat thing that happens. I start sharing Jesus with others and all of a sudden I find I'm reading my Bible because I need to learn because there's questions that are being asked of me and I need to answer. And there's the desire in my heart to follow more faithfully, to obey God's word, to apply it to my own life because I'm trying to lead this other person now in the way of the Lord. And my life comes alive. There's a joy that's there because I see that God is using me to be the vehicle of his love and of his grace and of his truth and of his righteousness, of what faith is all about and of his hope and of his healing for people who need Jesus. And you know what? I think when I start sharing my faith with other people, it's the greatest spark of spiritual growth that you can ever have. My golden thread is in essence saying, let's not lose this kind of focus of why the church is here. We are all to be salt and light. We are all to be on mission for Christ. We are all to be making disciples of Jesus. And when we do, our love for each other grows. And when we do, our witness becomes infectious. And when we do, our lives are changed. And when we do, our community and world is transformed. It's transformed because of Jesus. It's transformed by the Spirit of God. It's to the glory of God. Pastor Rob made this statement a few weeks ago when he was preaching. He said, there's 7.9 billion different ways for the glory of God to be uniquely expressed and manifest in an individual's life. And then he said this, because no two stories are identical. And each person is reshaped in Christ. We look like Jesus in a billion different ways. There's so many uniquenesses to who we are and how we're made and the experiences in life that we have. And it takes every single one of us who are committed to the mission of Christ to be one of those billion expressions of Christ to other people. And so my message to us is to say, can we do that? And can we do that by leading first with compassion? that we might lead people to the conviction of the fact that Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, has come into this world to rescue sinners. May God give us his wisdom and grace as we seek to lead with compassion. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we invite you by your spirit to help us really to grapple with this and grab a hold of your truth. We want to be people who reflect Jesus Christ. We want to be people who feel something deeply in our heart for others and act upon it. Please fill us with your spirit Give us your grace that we might be people who lead with compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. I have some discussion questions for you here today. And so I just want to remind you too that uh, if you have a question that you want to submit, as Pastor Rob was telling you about, next Sunday night, we're going to be having this Let's Talk About It time. Go to our website, submit your question about Messy Grace, Messy Truth. And then, of course, if you want to be on target for reading your New Testament by Easter Sunday, and you want a little incentive, we do have these brochures here at the church that you can pick up, and that can help you, or you can download it on, off of our website. Okay, our discussion questions for today are these. Have you ever been somewhere that's out of your norm where you felt like you didn't belong? What was that like for you? Do you remember the feeling? Secondly, have you ever been the recipient of someone's compassion toward you? And do you remember what that felt like? And thirdly, what was it about Jesus that you think allowed him to look past the immediate inconvenience of people's needs to allow him to lead with compassion? God bless you as you reflect on these questions and discuss them together. And I really do hope that we see you here next week. Or if you want to join us for an in-person service, that's 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings at Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.